0: hey everyone, you're tuned in to the Philippi Sermons Podcast. We're currently in a series through the Book of Acts. If you want more information about our church, head over to philippichurchgp.com. There you can also find a link to our other conversations podcasts where we interview people and have Jesus-centered, Jesus-focused conversations. Hey, may the Lord bless you and speak to you as you take in His Word.
1: know that there's a temptation uh, as you're sitting at home in your living room to, you know, kind of treat this like TV and and, and just be sort of like watching, observing, and, and not necessarily participating. But I, I would tell you, man, you have an incredible opportunity to, to really implement privately what, what only God will see as a family. You guys worshiping in your living room. You guys you guys uh, spending time in the Word and going through the Scriptures together and, and looking at what the Word of God says, studying it together. And so my encouragement to you is grab your Bibles, grab uh, your kids and have them around. Or if you've got them watching in uh, the, the, the kids uh, program, have them grab their Bibles and follow along. It's a wonderful opportunity to implement family worship. Uh, before we get started here, a couple of quick reminders. Uh, first of all, it, it's a privilege to be here for Philippi uh, and, and Heritage together. The fact that we have this partnership is such a huge, huge blessing. Uh, because what is happening here is our, our body, actually through this circumstance, is being knit together in a really unique way that, that we didn't anticipate or expect. We, we get to join together as one group of people digitally here and worship together and that that is a really neat thing and so it's a privilege to be able to speak into uh, the church at Philippi and uh, it's also a privilege to speak the word at at Heritage as well. Uh, Along with that a couple of quick things for Heritage for those of you guys who are are tuning in uh, we have the link embedded in the website and so from now on, if, you, if you're not a, a social media user and maybe you don't like Facebook and don't want to download it, you can go right to our, uh, our website and you can find the link there for, uh, for our live stream Sunday by Sunday. And then the second piece for our Heritage folks is that uh, we're, we're, we're thinking into the future of like what is going to happen after all of this business with the coronavirus goes away. Um, what, what is really going to take place here and what does that look like? Already some people have, have put in requests for financial assistance at the church and, um, and we recognize that our benevolence resources are, are, are limited. And so we've been trying to think, like, what are some ways that we, could, we, we can meet the need or match needs with, with resources? And one of the things that we've come up with is, um, is what the government is providing right now. Uh, so there are some people within our church that already have everything that they need. They already have, they're taken care of, this virus thing isn't going to affect them in any way, shape, or form. But then there are others that are, are going to be suffering hardship in the coming weeks and months, and some who already are, who've been, who've been reaching out to us. And so we thought, if you are a person who does not... Um, need assistance if you're if you're in a financially secure place and you have an opportunity to give we would invite you to pray just pray lord maybe the stimulus check that is coming in is not f- not for me maybe it's for somebody else in the body that has a need and so we would invite you to just pray and and ask the lord and if that's something that you feel led to do you can you can donate that stimulus check uh, to a specialized fund that we've set aside solely for the purpose of caring for people who are in financially hard time in our church. And so that's a part of our way of just, just trying to cover the needs and, and care for folks in this time. Hey, uh, before we dive into Acts 20, I just want to pray real quick, real briefly. God, as we come to your word, I pray that it would be practical, that it would be applicable for each of us, in the stage of life that we're in, and that in the middle of us studying your word, we would be being equipped with truth that actually changes the way that we see the world. It changes the the way that we see the opportunities that you've placed in front of us to demonstrate your love for the people around us. So God, would you have your way in your word? Would you teach and instruct us by the Holy Spirit in the name and for the glory of Jesus? Amen. Amen. Hey, well, grab your Bibles, and uh, we're going to start out in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. I'm just going to read through the passage with you, and then we'll come back. We'll make some comments and kind of work our way through, through this passage. So, uh, first of all, verse 17. Now, from Miletus, he, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So Paul is now on his third missionary journey, and he's making his way around the coastline of, of Asia Minor. And he has an opportunity. He's on his way back. The, the previous verse in verse 16 tells us that he's, he's hoping to get back to, Penteco- to Jerusalem by the, the uh, Pentecost celebration. And so he's got a deadline that he's trying to meet. And as a result of that, he can't stop in every place. So he, he, instead, he, he bypasses Ephesus and then stops at Miletus and sends to the elders for the church to come to him, the elders of the church to come to him. In verse 18, he says, and when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions are awaiting me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, So, Ephesian elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and, and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my own necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he, that's Paul, had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all, with all the Ephesian elders. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that, he would not see, that they would not see his face again. And so they accompanied him to the ship. Here on Paul's third missionary journey, we can see that Paul is is making his way back towards Jerusalem, and in the middle of him making his way back, and and in the middle of him returning, he he stops because he wants to gather the Ephesian elders. He stops in Miletus. Now, uh, these folks that came from Miletus, they were the elders of the church. They're the ones that were charged with caring for and overseeing the church there in, in Ephesus. Now, in, in our minds, you know, that maybe that's not a big deal for them to travel from Miletus to Ephesus, but it isn't a big deal until you actually look at a map. a matter of fact, I got on Google Maps earlier uh, this morning just to kind of check it out for myself. It is a 38-mile trip from Ephesus down to Miletus where Paul was. Now, remember, they don't have cars. <laughs> you know, this group of elders is, is probably traveling as a crew of people, and they walked 38 miles one way to come and see Paul. That's how dedicated they were to, uh, to the work of the kingdom of God, and that's really how dedicated they were in their relationship with Paul and, and in friendship with him. He was that valuable to them that, that they would walk that distance. So Paul uses this meeting then to talk to them about leadership and, and, and to talk about the, the care of the church and what it means to be elders and how it is that they are supposed to care for the church, how it is that they can embrace this responsibility. Now, this is helpful uh, to, to me. Personally, as an elder of a church, I'm, I'm an elder both at Heritage and at Philippi, and so I have a wonderful privilege of, of being able to care for people and, and think about the needs of the body in that way. But it's not just applicable only to eldership. That Actually, this, this lays out for us all forms of leadership from God's perspective and what the purpose of leadership really is. And so my hope is that by the end of this, we're going to walk away with a really good, understanding or idea of what it means to be a leader, in the, both in the marketplace, uh, in the church, and also in the home. I, I wanted to start with a story. There's a, there's a story of uh, these two steamboats that were uh, traveling down to Mississippi. They were traveling down the Mississippi River down to New Orleans. And uh, as they traveled side by side, one vessel began talking trash to the other vessel, and they ended up in a position where they, they uh, decided they were going to have a, a, a race and, and see who could get to New Orleans the quickest. And the competition became fierce. It became vicious, and you know, they were kind of neck and neck until uh, one of the steamboats actually began to run out of coal to keep stocking uh, the steam engine, because they had planned on a nice leisurely trip down the river, but now they were really pushing it, so they began running out of coal and and in a huff, the captain of that vessel began to grab all the cargo and then like throw it in the furnace, and as they did that, they found that the fires were stoked and and they could continue to compete at that level. but by the time they got to uh, to New Orleans though they had Competed in the race and had done well in the race and been able to keep neck and neck with the other vessel, they had burned up all of their cargo. And here's the deal with leadership God has entrusted us with leadership, but we can do it in such a way that we actually, in a spirit of competitiveness and in a spirit of like wanting to succeed or being driven we actually burn up the very resources that God has given us. We arrive at our destination having burned out the cargo. When the program takes priority over people, uh, people are the ones that suffer. And, and, And that is the point. Paul is calling the Ephesian elders to care for people, people that God loves, people that God cares about. Many want or claim to be good leaders. But the question is, what does their leadership cost? What's it costing? You see, a boss drives men, but a leader coaches them. A boss depends upon authority, but a leader depends upon goodwill. A boss inspires fear. But a leader inspires enthusiasm. A boss says, I. It's about me. But a leader says, we. Let's do this together. Uh, the boss fixes the blame or the breakdown. Or for the breakdown. But, but a, a leader someone who cares actually looks at the breakdown and and serves serves his people by teaching them that it's a learning opportunity. A boss knows how it's done, but a leader shows how it's done. A boss says go, but a leader says, hey, let's go together. And that is what you see in Paul. matter of fact, as we go through the text here, you'll, you'll begin to see a couple of things that really stand out. There's two sort of file folders that I want you to put these thoughts in. The first one is Paul's investment in the church, and then I want you to see also God's investment in the church. So Paul's investment in the church is really the first 10 verses, and then God's investment in the church is the last 10 verses. So let's dive in here. Paul says, when they came to him, verse 18, he says, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. So here's here's the first thing I want you to see. Paul led with humility. Paul led with humility. Now, again, Paul's a smart guy, and, and matter of fact, uh, this is the real temptation for those who are in a position like the one I'm in right now, where you have an audience and people are looking at you, and and afterwards they come back and they they give you feedback, and and most of the time, you know, we do get complaints every once in a while, but most of the time the feedback is is generally good. It, it's a lot of encouragement, like, hey, you did a great job. That was really inspiring. That really hit my heart in this way, and and that that. Sort of a a, a positive responsiveness, but the the temptation is is that when you lead, you can begin to lead lead in such a way that you believe your own press. You start to think, well, I'm you know I'm I'm something cool. I'm something amazing. Uh, Matter of fact, there's a there's a great story about George Whitfield. He had a technique for keeping himself humble. Uh, George Whitefield, the great evangelist, would, would sometimes open air preach to twenty five to 30,000 people. And he lived during the time of Ben Franklin. Matter of fact, there's a great story about how Ben Franklin thought that it was a lie about the size of the crowds. And so he actually went to a George Whitefield uh, uh, evangelistic message and then calculated the crowd based upon square footage. He paced off the crowd to see how many people were actually there. But George Whitefield, afterwards, people would come by and they would say, hey, Mr. Whitefield, you were wonderful. Your words were eloquent. And indeed he was. He was a master of the English language and and was a master of using illustrations. And and he would simply respond by saying this. He would say, "I, I know it. You're right. I'm wonderful. I'm eloquent. I know it. The devil told me that just as I was stepping down from the pulpit. You see... A good leader leads from a place of humility, just honesty in in who he is, awareness of his own vulnerabilities, awareness of his own weaknesses. And Paul was a person who led with humility. He says it right off the bat. And then he says, I I led with tears in verse 19. "I, I served the Lord with all humility and with tears, even though I went through various trials. Now, Paul was an emotionally healthy leader. You see, some leaders have particular types of wounds to where the way that they lead is to meet their own need. The the crowd or the the employees or the family are a means to get what they need satisfied out of their own heart. But Paul was not like that. He led for the good of others, and he led with passion. He was not a crybaby. He was emotionally healthy. And this was evidenced by his willingness to endure hardships of all sorts. He was whipped, he was beaten, he was broken. And you could see that Paul was not being changed by the trials that he endured. He didn't become so callous that his heart was not intact any longer. He led with tears. You can tell when a person is not emotionally healthy. When, when they cannot talk about their feelings or, or when they get stuck and all of a sudden they are defined by the trials that they go through. Whenever you have a conversation, they go right back to that last hurt, that, that big moment, and, and that becomes the defining moment of their character. Paul was not defined by what he'd been through, what was, but was defined by his love for Jesus. There are two things that you can note about him leading with tears, how he led with tears. First of all, he had passion. Second of all, he had compassion. Passion. Why was Paul so passionate? Well, what well, was because when the truth matters, when you believe that something is true, then you feel the impact of that truth deep down. The truth causes you to see the world out of the truth's Reality. So Paul had a passion. He believed that Jesus was indeed the savior of the world, and he believed that the gospel was the means by which God would reach into the hearts of people and change their lives. And as a result of that, he was passionate about it. That's how he truly saw the world. Second of all, he had compassion. Now, which is a similar word, Calm. the prefix meaning with, passion, the suffix meaning suffering, with suffering. And, and here's what that means. It means when people matter, you feel their pain. What is going on in their hearts matters to your heart because you genuinely, truly love and care about them. So Paul was a leader who led with tears. Thirdly, he was a, a leader who led with preaching. In verse 20, he tells us that he preached publicly. He had big stages like this, but he also taught privately from house to house. One of the things that Paul loved to do is not just be on a stage and, and talking to people, but he loved to sit down with them and walk through truth with them, talk through the scriptures with them, help them to be equipped that they might also be followers of Jesus, that they would not need him to some degree. He's trying to work himself out of a job to some degree. So he preached publicly, he preached privately. Another great story about uh, David Brainerd, Jonathan Edwards, in his biography of David Brainerd. David Brainerd was a, a guy who, who burned hot for the Lord and died in his, I believe, in his, uh, his late 20s. Uh, But he was a missionary to the Native Americans here in in America and gave his life and service to them in a time where it was considered um, really outside of the cultural norms to love Native Americans. And and he went and would live with them. And and as a result, he got sick and he he died as a consequence of that. But while he was on his deathbed, uh, Jonathan Edwards tells us that uh, he, 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 used, he, he wasn't able to get up and move around, but he, he used the opportunity on his deathbed to, to gather some young natives and, and to teach them to read using the Bible. And, and he counted it a privilege to lay down his life in that way. When he couldn't walk, when he could no longer move, he laid down his life in caring for the natives in that way. This, this is a leader who leads with passion, who leads with compassion, who leads with preaching, both publicly and privately. And, and, and guys, everybody wants a stage in this culture. Matter of fact, I would say in some ways, the, the, the downside of social media, the, the thing that can be negative about social media, is that we all feel that we, we have a platform now by which we can preach whatever our message is. And it feeds the ego it's not that it can't be used uh, for God's glory, but but we have to be careful that what we are saying, that what we are are putting out there for people, is is really for their good. Now there's you know humor and all kinds of things. You can just be a normal person, but the message that we preach with our lives should be for the good of others. So he preached publicly, he preached privately. He preached without prejudice. In verse 21 it says this, he said, "I was testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he wasn't locked in on one audience. He, he preached to anyone who would listen. He preached pointedly. In verse 21 it says, he called them to repent and have faith or put their trust in Jesus Christ. the, the Idea being there, listen, I'm not just a proclaimer of truth. The the goal is for you to actually step into this life that we have in Christ Jesus. That's the ultimate goal. And so, as a consequence, Paul preached uh, to those people and he preached pointedly. He said to them, Repent, put your faith in Jesus. You need to come to the crisis where you surrender your life to Jesus. Now, that may be a slow process. That may be a quick and sudden process. We see this in the stories of people who've come to Jesus all around us. But there does come a moment where we say, if this is the reality... If God is real, if Jesus really did come and die and and really was raised again the third day, and he really did ascend to the Father, really is sitting on some sort of supernatural cosmic throne, really is ruling, and this really is his kingdom, then at some point I really have to come under his authority. I really do have to surrender to him. And he preached comprehensively. If we skip down to verse 27, it says this. He said, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I I, I told you everything you needed to know to walk with the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that in the two years that he stayed at Ephesus, he taught them verse by verse through the entire Bible. Some of the Bible was still being written at the time that he said that. But what he's saying is everything that you needed to know to live a life fruitful in the Lord. And for His glory, I, I taught it all. I let, I held nothing back. I gave it all to you. John Stott put it this way. He said he shared all possible truth with all possible people in all possible ways. And fourthly, he led with priorities. So back up in verse twenty-two, he says this. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm constrained by the Spirit. In, in other words. I'm, Maybe part of me doesn't want to go, doesn't want to suffer, but I I feel pressed that this is what obedience looks like. This is what God is calling me to right now. He says the Holy Spirit testifies... uh, Excuse me, in verse 22, the second half there, he says, Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And I know that none of you, among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And then he goes into instructions for the elders. But I want you to see this last little bit here. Paul prioritized his life. He said, man, there is one eternal peace here that matters more than anything else. And I'm going to dedicate my life to, to that reality. I, you're not going to see me again because I'm, I'm headed towards Jerusalem. And I, I, I don't know what's going to happen to me there. But I, I do know that the Holy Spirit keeps telling me every place that I go that, that I'm going to suffer when I get there. And he says, it doesn't even matter to me. Because I don't even count my own life dear to me. The message and the king and the kingdom is so important. It's so valuable. That no matter what it takes, no matter what it costs, Jesus is worthy of that. (laughs) That, That's an incredible, incredible truth. You know, in our present day culture, probably the biggest obstacle to being serious about our faith really is our comfort. Uh, we we don't want to be embarrassed <laughs> in front of other people. We don't want to sacrificially have to give anything up. We don't want to have to change our lifestyle. We don't want it to affect the music we listen to or the movies we watch. We don't want it to affect uh, anything in our lives. We want we want to have the benefits of loving God and following Him without any of the cost, without any of the sacrifice. But Paul prioritized his life. In Philippians, he says, I just want to run as though I want to win. <laughs> well... We see here in these verses, in these 10 verses, Paul's investment in the church. But I want you also to see God's investment in the church because he begins to turn towards the elders and he starts out this discussion on leadership, on elders, by saying something really important in verse 28. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. First of all, how did you get to be leaders? God put you there. He gave you that privilege he gave you that position. Second of all, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Why did God put you there? Because the church is something that he cares about passionately. He obtained it with his own blood. Matter of fact, you see in this passage, the Trinitarian involvement, God the Father planned redemption, Jesus the Son, executed redemption by dying on the cross sacrificially and leading others to himself. And the Holy Spirit implements redemption by bringing the gospel alive in the hearts of people and causing them to see the glory of God's love and God's grace towards them. So you see all three persons at the Trinity working together. We see, first of all, God's purchase of the church that's his initial investment God purchased the church and how did he purchase it with his own blood the scriptures say he's personally involved second thing that I want you to take note of not only God's purchase but God's protection in verses 28 through 30 he says pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers How does God protect the church? What is the means by which he does that? Now, he he could sort of supernaturally just sort of like swat flies and stop bad things from happening. That that could be how he does things. But instead, he uses agency. He uses means to accomplish his end. What is is the means? It's leadership. It's people that he's called. And so, he, he calls elders to care, to be devoted towards the care of the church. And as a consequence of God calling these men to be leaders within the church and investing in the church in that way, uh, this is God's gift to the church. As a consequence, people are protected. They are cared for. They are Trained and directed that they might be fruitful. Ephesians 4 really lays this out so simply for us. And saying that when Jesus raised from the dead, he gave gifts to the church. And what were the gifts? It was leadership. It was apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. It's it's these people so that the body might continue to grow and build itself up in love, so that the body or the flock of God might be healthy. So Paul uses three different terms to describe the office of elder. He he uses the term elder, uh, another term bishop, and another one pastor or shepherd. But really, all of those terms are used interchangeably in the scriptures. In in, in the, when you go back to the Greek words, so the uh, the the office of elder is the Greek word presbyter. Um, and, and the presbyter really speaks of, of age or maturity. It really speaks of, of what kind of character is present in a person who has um, the responsibility to care for others. The term bishop is episkopos, which means overseer, somebody who has oversight. And then the term pastor is poimen, which means uh, shepherd, um, one who, who nurtures and cares for the flock. So he says, you guys have been called, and he uses the word episcopos here really clearly. In, in the first part of our passage, back in verse 17, he says, uh, it, the, the scriptures say that he called the elders of the church to come to him. That's a different word, that's presbyters, uh, those who are mature in the Lord to, and were given the responsibility to care for the church, he called that. Now, those presbyters, he calls episkopos, which means overseer. Now, this is a, a really great term. It just means literally to, to see over, to look over, to watch over. I, I think of um, actually like maybe a sniper position in, in a, a military troop. Somebody who, who sees the broader picture knows when danger is coming, can warn the guys on the ground who has overwatch over the people so that they can accomplish their mission. His job is to inform. His job is to protect. And that's what overseers are are there to do. And so Paul calls these overseers to this task that they might have care for the flock. He says, the Holy Spirit put you in this position to care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. And and then he gives some examples of how things can go wrong or what is probably going to happen after his departure. Verse 29 says, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So the first thing that Paul says to these elders, he says, "Uh, watch watch over the church. Watch over uh, the flock of God. The people that God purchased are to be watched for the purpose of caring for them. Care about their spiritual needs and possible spiritual danger, care about their emotional needs and possible emotional danger, care about their physical needs, come and pray for the sick and care for the poor and and be involved in their lives, care for their physical needs as well. The scriptures are are full of commands about how it is that that church leaders should behave towards those who are part of the body of Christ. They're to be cared for spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And then he says, I want you also to look out, to watch out for one another. He says in verse 30, And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul knew the vulnerability of leadership. He said, hey, Look, even among your own selves, you guys who are leaders right here, there's a the possibility that one of you guys is actually going to end up being like a Judas, right? Who comes in and your, your real goal is not the goal of God. The real goal is your own self. And so what is, what is going to happen is you're going to try and draw away disciples not after Jesus, but after your own self. So watch out for one another. How do we do that? Well, hopefully, among the elders, there should be care for one another. To where the elders are invested in each other's lives just like they are in the church. It's sort of like a a microcosm of what is happening down at the church body level in care for the elders. It's also happening in the leadership level. And that we care for one another spiritually. We care for one another emotionally. We care for one another physically. We're looking out for each other. So that there isn't a departure from the faith. Now, we can't stop people from making sinful choices or being puffed up with pride, but we can speak into one another's lives within a leadership context. And he says, watch for attacks outside. There are lots of ways that the enemy tries to come at the church. There's attacks of syncretism. That is where we, the, the church is beginning to adopt the mindset of the world around it. In a way that's unhealthy. There's also attacks of, of persecution. And that is where the church is being buffeted by the world. to Putting pressure on them to get them to cave from their, their faith in Jesus. And how it shapes them as a, as a body of believers. So there are attacks that happen from outside. But also guys, there are attacks that happen from the inside. There's attacks, and, and some, sometimes that's like leadership issues. Uh, it can be false doctrine. It can be division uh, within the body. As, as people begin to sort of raise up certain divisive factions and this group gets tired of that group and, 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 and people, this is, the, this is the normal status quo for human nature. Divisions and backbiting can begin to happen. Elders are supposed to come in and care for the body and keep that from from being something that dominates a group of people that are supposed to live together like family, to be representing on this world what life in eternity in the kingdom is going to be like. There will be people with agendas, and elders are called to watch out for that. There will be people that want to utilize the church to build their own wealth, or to establish their own kingdom or their own influence in some way. The the church is a tool rather than the object of their love and of their affection and of their service. And so God has appointed elders to care for the church. And so, for example, at Heritage, one of the things that we see is that that God has raised up elders uh, for the good of the body. Uh, these, are, these are people who, have, first of all, have to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. They want that position for themselves. Um, they, they must exhibit the qualities of First of, uh, Timothy chapter five verses 17 through 21, and Titus chapter one, verses 6 through 9. Uh, they, they have to be a good husband, a good father, uh, a good steward. They, they can't be somebody who, who has to have their own way. They're not overbearing. They don't get angry easily. They're not an alcoholic. They're honest, they're gentle, they they like helping out. It's obvious that they take their faith seriously and and their their works are are um, are obvious because they they're living for the kingdom and for God's glory and for His purpose. They're, they're knowledgeable in the scriptures. They understand doctrine and are able to oppose heresy. And uh, they, they must have strong character to stand in difficulty. And so when we consider somebody who is an elder, we're looking at all of those qualities. Their, do- their doctrine have to be, has to be examined. Uh, their character must be examined. They have to show faithfulness in their family before they ever can show faithfulness in the body. And, um, and, and so an elder is given that responsibility. Now, a funny thing has happened, and, and um, I, I, I know how it takes place. Whenever we bump up against authority, uh, in, immediately in our own lives, I think uh, we, we tend to resist authority, right? There's a rebellious part of our heart that goes, oh, man, authority, I don't like that. I don't like want people having power or control. But that is largely because we don't understand how authority works in the kingdom of God. So I just want to say something real quick that I think is super powerful. All authority that God has given is given for the purpose of serving. Hear that. All authority that God has given it has been given for the purpose of serving. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus is talking to the apostles who are clamoring for position In his future and coming kingdom. And he says. Hey. You see how authority works with the Gentiles. I don't want it to be like that with you. The person. who, Who. Wants to have authority in the kingdom of God. Must become the servant. The slave. Of all. He says. For even the son of man. The king of the kingdom. Right. Did not come to be served. But to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So all authority is given for the purpose of service. If God gives authority to a government, it's to care for the people. If God gives authority to a church leader, it is to care for and nurture and bring about the health and wholeness of God's people. If God gives authority to a boss within a company, it is for the good of those people who are in it. And for the care of those customers that come through the door. And if God has given authority in a family, it is for the mutual upbuilding and care and nurture of the home, of the kids, of, of, of the wife. If God has given you authority, your authority has a purpose. The purpose is the service of others. It's, it, it's exemplifying the heart of Christ through the position that he's put you in, the position that he's given you. And when you understand that, it takes away the fear... <laughs> of of what authority really is. When you understand that when you sign up to have authority, when you sign up to be a husband, when you are a parent, when you are a boss in a company or in church leadership or, or, or in government in some way, what you're signing up for is greater levels of slavery. Right? You're signing up for greater levels of slavery that you might come under the people around you. And so... God has given as a gift. You can see now why leadership, elders to, the elders to Ephesus are a gift to the church at Ephesus. The elders at Heritage are a gift to the church of Heritage. And the elders at Philippi, I'm talking about me, so. <laughs> are a gift to Philippi because we actually care about what happens in your lives. We care about what goes down here. Well, in conclusion, I want to say just a couple of things. We see God's uh, God's pro- protection, but we also see God's provision. He's, he says at the end of this chapter, and uh, beginning in, in verse 33, he says, I coveted, oh, excuse me, in verse 32, he says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. I just... I love that. I, I can't pass it by without a comment on it. Grace is is the word grace actually in the Greek uh, is the word charis. It's where we get our word charity from. C H A R I S, and 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 means give given affection, resource, love without any without any payment on the part of the recipient. Okay, and he says I, I I'm commending you now to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Hey, I'm, I, God has given you this deposit in the gospel in what Jesus has done in order that he might deposit it into your life without any sort of like you have to pay for it or earn it or, or work for it in some way. He's given that to you in the gospel. Just receive it. And what will happen is it's able then to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. And he goes on to talk about his example. And, 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 he, and from 33 onward, he's really giving the handoff. He's like, okay, this is, this is on you guys now. This is, here you go, elders. Take this charge. He said, I, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. And all, in all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down, and he prayed with them all. Here's what I want you to see. Paul ends by saying, I, I haven't coveted anybody's silver or gold or apparel. Uh, in, in other words, I, I wasn't here for me, I was here for you. A matter of fact, I worked with my hands to serve you in order that you might be sustained and that you might be full. Listen, for Paul, the church was not a means to an end. One of the things that I think is just such a it's just a part of the culture that we live in, and that's part of that syncretism thing that has, has been adopted. One of the things that I see in the in the modern age is that the church is a means to an end for people. Uh, worship leaders worship because they want to be famous in some way or they want to strike it rich and be a big band. It's another means to have the American dream. Preachers do the same thing. They get on YouTube and Facebook and they master social media. And, and, and it can either be for the kingdom and for the glory of God or... It could be for self-serving needs. The church is not the object of God's affection. It is the means by which they can attain the American dream. And the two have been so melded closely together that sometimes it's hard to separate them. Paul says, Jesus and his church have not been a means to an end for me. Jesus is the end. His church is the end. His kingdom is the end. And finally, Paul kneels down with these elders. And these elders kneel down and they pray with him. And, and then there's this weeping that takes place. They just, they just love Paul. They just love him. And they're, they're mostly concerned about the fact that they're not going to see him again. This group of seasoned men who were leaders, who were, who were men's men, who just walked 40 miles to come and see Paul. They now are on a beach as he gets into a boat. They kneel down, they pray with him, and they they just fall on him. They start kissing him, sort of Middle Eastern style, and weeping. These grown men are weeping. Why? Because of Paul's influence in their lives. He loved them so well that they could not help but love him in return. This is the nature of good and true and godly leadership. I'll leave you with one final story. An American missionary had lost his way in the African jungle. He could find no landmarks on the trail had sort of vanished. But eventually, stumbling upon a small hut, he he asked the native who was living in that, that hut if he could lead him out. The native nodded and, and rising to his feet, he walked into the jungle and the, the, he started hacking away at the brush where there was no trail and, and making his way along. And, and as time unfolded, the missionary began to get worried. Like, does this guy even know where he's going? He says, are you, are you sure that this is the way? I don't see the path. And the African chuckled and, and said over his shoulder, Buana, in this place there is no path. I and the path. You see, leadership is exemplified in a God who plans salvation from the foundations of the world and implements it moment by moment, generation after generation. In a son who comes and lives as a servant. Foxes had holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. He lived for the good of those under him and a Holy Spirit who then empowers His people to go and do the same. Jesus showed us that authority is to be used for the good and for the salvation of others in the gospel. Amen. Hey, would you pray with me as we close here, and then we're going to take a quick break. And we'll be back in just about two minutes after the prayer is done so that we can um, set up for some discussion here. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to to hear the scriptures. And I pray, Lord, that your word would be alive and working in us, that we would be shaped by us. And even as Aaron and Sam and I begin to discuss, may, may the discussion be led by your spirit that it, that it would be equipping for the good of your people. And Lord, help us to take this word to our own hearts, those of us who are parents, those of us who are older siblings, those of us who are on sports teams and, um, and, and, and in positions of authority in the workplace and, and those who may even be involved in some sort of civic duty or, or government or, or whatever. God, help us to use our authority For the good of the people around us. May we see ourselves not as high and mighty kings. That's what the the world does. But may we see ourselves as the servants of all. Living for the good of those around us. We ask this in the name and for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you guys in two minutes. So hang on. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in just a few minutes.
0: We want to end this with some dialogue surrounding the topic. Um, you know, this is kind of one of the things that we do at Philippi is that we always try to end a lot of our church services by having conversations around tables. Uh, we call it Circle Sundays. And you know we just really believe that um, we need to hear the word. We need to uh, see the word preached. We also need to discuss the word and get into it a little bit more. Yeah, so I wanted to do that together with you guys. And so I'm just going to kind of lead a conversation, ask some questions, things like that. So the idea of spiritual leadership, um, particularly eldership, Um, is something I feel like that is kind of lost a little bit in our Western world, Mm -hmm. right? It's a little confusing. I think even uh, I asked uh, someone, I I won't say who it was, uh, a friend the other day, hey, what's the difference between an elder and a deacon? And they were like, no clue, (laughs) right? So, And I think a lot of people probably don't know. Like, What is an elder? Does that just mean it's an old person at a church? Uh, Does that mean it's the person that... you know, just, just makes the budgets or, or what does that mean? And some churches don't even use that language, you know? And, and so uh, I'm hoping in this time, I guess, to kind of clarify a little bit of what spiritual leadership mm-hmm. biblically is. Um, and you spoke to some of those terms a little bit in your teaching. Yeah. Um, but I see that we're, we're kind of in this vacuum right now of spiritual leadership in the West and mm. Western evangelicalism. Uh, and what I mean by that is, <clears throat> I'll give you an example. I keep hearing people use the word spiritual director. Have you heard this term? No. There's nothing wrong with it. I think it's great. But I keep hearing people tell me, oh, yeah, that person's my spiritual director. And I, go, and I just finally had to ask somebody once, what is a spiritual director? Like, I don't <laughs> know that. And like, well, it's this person that they sort of just help you, kind of guide you through your faith journey and help you develop and be sanctified, I help you understand the word. They help you answer questions. I'm like, oh, you mean like a pastor? <laughs> like, well, no, because they're not paid. And I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, it's almost like uh, the, the word pastor, elder, bishop... Presbyterian, whatever your translation has gotten so mm. convoluted mm-hmm. and so confusing about what that even means yeah. that now we've kind of reinvented new language to say the same things, right. um, which I think is really interesting. And I think there's a lot of reasons for this. I think um, for one, you know, we've kind of shifted. I think who speaks into our life spiritually, right? Mm. From local people, it used to be the average church was, um, you know, well, the average church is still about a hundred, but you used to be very isolated from outside voices. Your your pastor was the person who spoke into your life spiritually. Right. But now we have kind of the mega pastor, you know, we have the John Pipers and, uh, you know, um, the, the, just <coughs> the, the people that everyone tunes into their podcasts. Um, and, and they have hundreds of thousands of people that listen and they, mm-hmm. they, they're like this spiritual mentor, but no, but you don't really know him. Mm-hmm. Right, and so it's kind of created this like this void uh, of spiritual direction. Um, how do you think we got here? And that, maybe that's one of the reasons. But how do you think? And what are some of the reasons that we kind of got here, to this place where we don't really know what spiritual leadership should or is um, supposed to look like? Uh, how do we How do we get here? I guess is my question. Yeah, yeah. It's he's Beamish. gonna make you talk. You're, <laughs> you're gonna have to just do it. He's not. He's not. What gonna are your thoughts,
1: Beam? <laughs>
2: I think, I think just at least in the, the, Western, uh, the Western world, like we're, we're very individualistic as, mm. it, as it stands just, just by nature. Um, I think we, we see that in our media, in movies, in yeah. exemplified, you know, in our parents and in just this like, hey, we're going to just kind of rally. We're going to do this thing on our own and uh, it kind of leaves us somewhat like the wild, wild west, you know, of yeah. just like, hey, we're just going to go and we're going to explore, and whatever we come upon, we're going to just cultivate and make it our own as opposed to really walking with people, and I think that's something that we we really struggle, and I think we see as elders and leaders in the church is, um, man, we just we don't do discipleship very well, mm-hmm. um, I think because we haven't seen it modeled very well, mm-hmm. um, especially when we deviate from, you know, how... How it's outlined in scripture. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. True. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a, just a confusing space that most Christians are in where they they think their spiritual mentor, they think their spiritual ne- leader needs to be Billy Graham right. or needs to be John Piper or needs to be whoever your, your person is, right? Mm-hmm. John MacArthur. Because they, they've set the bar from internet and podcasting and radio and all these things, they've set the bar of spiritual leadership. But in reality, you know that that's not realistic. Mm-hmm. For one, that person um, is is. Rehearsing a speech that they've practiced. (laughs) They're not like that (laughs) in real life, right? (laughs) They're they're, they're a normal human being Um, and so but I think we expect our spiritual mentors to be those people and then we get to know them and we go Oh, you're just like me. (laughs) You're just a you're just a human being with all of the flaws of humanity um, And and inviting someone like that into our life. I think it's kind of the Hollywood problem You know, Mm -hmm. it's like we've invented this idea of the perfect spiritual leadership (laughs) right. Yeah, like um, um, and, and I think that's, you know, like that, that's a big problem. What's what's kind of the way forward, um, do you think, in terms of how we really do spiritually lead? Um, because there's so much in the New Testament about spiritual leadership. I mean, yeah. the word um, episcopos, elders, you know, these, these, these the word for pastor, overseer, comes up all the time. In fact, we have lots of um, material in the New Testament that talk about it. Um, what's the way forward, do you think, to kind of undo some of this Western evangelical um, individualism and kind of, I don't know, just some of the issues that I think are keeping us from being able to lead congregants the way that we should. What do you think the way forward is? What's Heritage doing
1: to try to combat some of that stuff? Yeah, you know, I think um, there are some cultural changes that also affect us in that uh, in, in an ancient world where people lived in a city, there was a lot of congregating and a lot of intermixing relationally and and most of the time families lived in houses all together and so when paul is doing house to house meetings he's he's getting groups of people and and pouring into them and discipling them over over the course of like at yeah. Ephesus that was for two years He he stu- stayed there and met with people both publicly and from house to house But I think that the same sort of approach has to be adopted We have to I think maybe go back to that even though our society has changed people dr- get in cars. They're individualistic They drive places by themselves and whatever else somehow we have to break through some of those barriers that keep us separated from one another hmm. to really begin to intermix Um, our lives with each other. And just as a side note on that too, I think uh, we've also reduced discipleship to just being about the transfer of information.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Rather than, uh, and there's a a new term that's being used. I kind of like it, it, but it's trendy and so I don't know how long it'll last. (laughs) Uh, But uh, spiritual formation is Mm -hmm. kind of the the modern term that gets used. It's just another word for discipleship. Mm -hmm. Uh, but But it means like, us getting to know one another at a depth of, of knowledge and relationship to where you speak into my life about the things that you see there or ways that I'm not depending on Jesus or right. to not surrendering to his authority. So we have to get into those right. personal relationships in order for real discipleship to take yeah, place. I agree.
0: I think I really resonate with what you just said about information dump or information yeah. transfer. Like as though discipleship can happen through an app right now we can learn stuff through an app right. and yeah. there's a lot of discipleship apps out there but what would really make that effective is if you had an older brother or sister in christ that you yeah. respected that went through that information with you and then actually sifted through your life with you yeah. and, and you know and actually said hey let's contextualize this information into reality and how it actually interacts with your day-to-day life mm-hmm. you know?
2: and i think that's i think that's our desire and our intent by having small group ministries now, um, is it kind of decentralizes a bit of the the come and gather and learn and hear from the stage, but then there's there's no real like living out life Hmm. with the people other than the people that you're sitting right next to in the the pew with you. So um, it kind of allows that, like, hey, we, we come and we're, we're broken. We have sharing time, just like you guys do around, you know, circles and tables to say, hey, this is what I'm struggling mm-hmm. with and, and this is, am I thinking about this rightly or am I thinking about this incorrectly? Right. Um, we just, I don't, we don't have many relationships with people yeah. that, um, that we're willing to do that. Right. Uh, we got together a couple of nights ago around a campfire and. Six feet apart. Six feet apart, of course. of course. Right. Um, but uh, but Jeremy asked me. He's like, hey, you know, he, he asked me this very like serious question that I, I wasn't prepared for. But he just he goes deep so fast. Um, <laughs> he's just like, hey, Aaron, will you tell me what my blind spot is? Like do I have a do I have a blind spot? Like what are those areas that you see from a, a different perspective that I that maybe I need to improve upon or I need to ask the Lord for for wisdom and guidance in? Um,
0: and it those- sure he didn't say where where my bald spot is. Where it's my mis- whole forehead. I <laughs> <laughs> might have misheard him, Aaron. Where is my where is my bald spot? I no, can't see it. He didn't. He did not say that. Okay. No. no.
2: But uh, but it's it's in that kind of relationship that I think we have so few of those like really uh, good relationships yeah. in yeah. life yeah. where we can really share with each other and be vulnerable enough with each other where we don't have to be macho or be totally. uh, the expert or be the whatever. Like it just it changes the environment.
0: Right. I think part of the one of the primary enemies of true discipleship and spiritual leadership is that we all want someone to be Jesus, and nobody is. Hmm. Like, you get, yeah. you get into a relationship, you know how it is, you see someone, like, wow, this person's so godly, and this is a good marriage, and they're just oh. like, wow, you know? And then you sit down with them, and then you go camping with them, and then you're like, you're just like a sinner, just like me. Like, <laughs> what's wrong with you, you know? And then you think, well, I need to go find another person. I mean, I've been yeah. on this, like, I've, I've had so many people that I, like, looked up to, and right. thought, wow, you're so amazing. And then the more I get to know them, I go, nope, you're still just a human being. And, and at some point, I think you have to realize that yeah. discipleship is gonna look different than it did with Jesus because none of us are Jesus. Yeah. So, none of us wanna make any person in our image, God yeah. forbid, right? I don't wanna disciple someone to look like me. That's now, there right. are things about me, hopefully, that people can learn, but, <laughs> but in reality, I think we, it, takes, it takes relationships with lots of different believers that are all bearing different images, different facets mm-hmm. of Jesus' character, I think, you know, and I think that's huge. But I think the problem is, as people come into large churches, they see the guy up there
1: mm-hmm. and he
0: just is very together. And they and they go well. That needs to be the guy to right. pastor me. But if you're in a church of more than a hundred people, you're probably not going to get much airtime with that person, right? Mm-hmm. And and so it becomes frustrating. So you can either leave that church and go to a small church where you actually see what a pastor really looks like in real life, mm-hmm. um, or you can you can stay there and just kind of not be pastored. But I don't think that's what God's intention is. Now speak yeah. to this a little bit because you guys are a large. We're just a church plant. We're just a few, you know, six seven right. months in. Uh, we got about a hundred folks, and and it's real easy not easy, but it's easier at this point to care spiritually for our people, because we know who they are. Yeah. Heritage is, is about four five, six times that size. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know that, that um, I've gone through this with you guys, being part of that church, right. trying revision after revision after <clears throat> revision for setting up structure and process to actually care for people spiritually, mm-hmm. physically. So talk to me about that. What's worked well, what hasn't worked well, and what's maybe the future look like for spiritual le- leadership? Um, and maybe this would be a time to explain a little bit shepherding elders, board of elders, totally. what's the difference and why do they exist?
1: Yeah, I'll speak to that, that last issue uh, just because I was around for some of that change uh, and, and operating before that. So Heritage used to just have the executive board of elders. And uh, so when I first came on in 2011, uh, it was just a small group of guys. They all met together. Eventually, I, I kind of got brought into that group, which was an awesome blessing. Um, but the majority of our meetings were spent in, in just dealing with the, the stewardship of the resources of the church, business and budgets and you know, events and, and planning things. And so what we realized is that all the commands that are in here about caring for people and helping them to be formed cannot be done in a two-hour meeting where we only talk about business. Mm-hmm. And so it was at that point that we made the, the decision. We have, to, we have to build this out even further. The business still has to be taken care of. But we, we also we want the emphasis of our meetings together to be the care of people Not not just the business side of things. And so that's when we formed the shepherding elder board and we kept them separate even though Anybody who's on the executive board has to be a shepherding elder as well. They actually have to care for people Um, But a a person who's on the shepherding board may not be on the executive board Uh, We kept them separate so that the meetings that we have as shepherding elders could be centered around how to get better at and how to be equipped in and how to pray for people within our church, the actual care of the real lives represented at Heritage. So that was kind of a, our philosophy in dividing the board into two parts yeah. um, and having both the shepherding elder uh, section and then the executive board, which is the, the stewardship piece.
0: So where have then the friction points in that for you guys?
1: Uh, quantifying, I think that's a, a big piece. Yeah. Aaron actually has been really instrumental in helping put some meat on the bones on how, like, who do we care for? Who are the people? Like if you have people coming in and out and there's 470 people on a Sunday that filter in and out, not including kids wing and whatever else, like what, what does that look like? And so Aaron, uh, if you want to speak to, to that process, like, what did you do to try and identify those people and, and meet some of those needs? Yeah.
2: there's there's so many different models that it just it's it's super confusing and it's hard you know honestly um so we've just desired to ask the lord lord will you give us wisdom and how to care for your people because because there's there's every way that you can try to do that and uh i feel like most of the ways that we've tried we've tried and failed or (laughs) tried and had relative success Mm -hmm. um and so I, th- I think one of our first ways that we tried to do that was to have some form of like formal membership, which was a, a big stretch for Heritage uh, because we- we're a fellowship church and something that um, we're just that- that's not normal or customary. Our desire in doing that is to really say, hey, who? is it that we are ultimately responsible for? Mm-hmm. Of course, the people coming and going that, you know, are hopping around, like we desire to, to love on them and share the gospel with them, uh, to be in fellowship with them, but they are not our primary responsibility. Those right. people that have the are the two-way relationship, just like marriage where we say, hey, I commit to you and you commit to me. Um, this, is, this is our desire. And so um, not only did we set up a, a shepherding elder board with the intent to care for those specific people, um, but then we divided out that group and said hey each guy is going to get a group of people that they're uh, to walk with and to um, you know maybe have a small group with or or so on and so forth but um, what's difficult about that is that we're all human and like (laughs) just like participating in anything like our lives have capacity and so um, if you're doing kids sports and you know do whatever hobby or whatever. I'm not even sure what a hobby is anymore, but, um, it's just like, boy, I, I don't have very much time to commit to this. And so it's difficult, uh, even in a leadership capacity to find the time. Like I personally struggle to find time to reach out to my people that I've been assigned and that I do love and care for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just difficult. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, yeah. I, I, because I worked with you guys through this process and being on staff at Heritage and, and seeing it and being part of the Shepherding Elder Board and or whatever you know it's called is is uh, it, it's it's just always a conflict between organic and synthetic mm. for me. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. it's like there's organic yeah. like natural um, relationship that can can bloom and blossom into discipleship and spiritual mm-hmm. leadership, and then there's synthetic like hey. I'm your shepherding elder. You've been assigned to me. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> I'm cold calling uh, you. <laughs> yeah. How are you doing? You know, and then people freak out like, is this because I haven't tied this year? Like, no, I don't even look at that. You know, it's fine. Um, it's just, a, it's a totally bizarre thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think, unfortunately, in a fallen world, sometimes we have to work with some synthetics, yeah. you know, yeah. but I think it's always like... Um, you know, how do we create a good garden box mm. in hopes that good soil and good seed will bring forth good fruit? Yeah. You know, and the, the cool thing and the encouraging thing is I was part of that experience at, at Heritage is there was many people that really loved the idea of, mm-hmm. of somebody from the church and leadership calling them mm-hmm. and saying, Hey, how are you doing? You know, this person's not getting paid mm-hmm. um, not that that makes it less <laughs> authentic or else right. you know, but but it, it, they're not getting paid to call you. out of their own time out of their own resource of calling to check and some people really love yeah. that um, and, and others it felt maybe uncomfortable for them you know but there are some incredible leaders mm-hmm. you know that you that you guys have you know we're in this kind of funny place uh, as a church plant where we're you know we're so early in the stage right. of developing leaders like I have people that are quality qualified Um, there's certainly most of the characteristics of an elder, um, but I just, we don't know each other very well yet, you know? And so, but at this point there's a sweet spot, I think, in our size of a church where we just know each other, you know? And and there's organic, there's an (laughs) organic care that happens. Um, if somebody doesn't come on Sunday, like we call them and we're like, Hey, are you, are you okay? You know, like everything okay. And they're like, yeah, totally, you know, um, or anymore they'll just, call me, They're like, hey, I wasn't there because of whatever. And I'm like, cool, that's cool, you know? And uh, in, in, in the large church environment, that becomes harder. you know. But um, I think either way, um, I, my encouragement, I think, and, and maybe I'd love to hear your guys' encouragement for, for the congregation. Hmm. But my encouragement um, for any believer, whether it be at Philippi or Heritage or someone just tuning into this online, would be to find a spiritual director. (laughs) Call (laughs) him whatever you want. I don't really care. Spiritual director sounds cool. So does spiritual formation. (laughs) If you want to say that, you know, whatever. But find a spiritual director. Find somebody and then establish that relationship, Mm -hmm. right? Like sit down with him and say like, hey, here's what I'm asking you to be. I'm not asking you to be you know um, just a casual friend I'm not asking you to be someone that has a mutual hobby or mutual interest. Yeah. I'm asking you to guide me through spiritual um, the spiritual waters I'm asking you to develop and when I say spirit I don't mean the floatiness the immaterialness mm-hmm. when I say spiritual I mean the things that pertain to God yeah. and, and really that's everything and, and, and the, the the part of you that is submitted fully to Christ mm-hmm. how do I expand that and help someone to help yeah. me that and, and it may not be someone on church leadership it may not be someone on staff, it may not be a professional, um, but that doesn't really matter. And totally. I think if, if these large churches, if the people within large churches and small churches can't learn to to find someone around them that maybe isn't technically mm-hmm. a leader, um, and impress into that person, like people are going to go on feeling malnourished.
1: Yeah, I
0: think and there's that vacuum is going to continue.
1: Isn't that the I mean, that's part of the challenge, right? Yeah. Is that uh, you know how how do I find a spiritual mentor? How do I even know when I do they have a, like a halo <laughs> right when do I know if somebody's mature enough yeah. to actually help me right. grow spiritually right. you, you really have to get involved in other people's lives and, yeah. and the beautiful thing is that uh, you don't have to be an elder to lead right, right? Yeah. You, you can be a, a person in the congregation who, who knows just a little bit more than the guy sitting next to you right. right and you can open up your Bible with them and you can sit and have conversations with them and you can speak into their lives yeah and anybody can do that.
2: Yeah, I think yeah. that's the, ch- the challenge. I, I, I know our group well enough to know, Like that is our, mm. our challenge to people, is to not just look for the person who is the, the leader for us, right. to, to say, hey, will you walk with me through these things and help me think about these things rightly? I have a question about the scripture. But also to just, I think sometimes we set that bar unnecessarily high, mm. right? Apart from scripture, right um of, of biblical eldership um and we we shy away and go oh i don't have the not
1: education. A theologian yeah. i don't
2: have the degree i don't have the whatever but um man we encourage people all the time like grab someone yeah. Yeah. who yeah. is right next to yeah. you who looks like they're struggling or, or doesn't even look like they're struggling but you can mentor them yeah. like right. that that is what the the shift that we want to see yeah. and yeah, then is that somewhat unorganic uh, Feel within the huddle group ministry that, that we're shooting for is like, man, let's let's engage mm-hmm. each other, let's yep. grow with each other, and let's step out and trust that the Lord yeah, can use yeah. me in my brokenness right. to do something great. Yeah, and yeah.
0: maybe it's multifaceted, you know. I mean, maybe yeah. you have someone that really just rocks, and in in, in, in um, gospel centered parenting. Right. And you're like, hey man, will you just help me be a better father? Will you help me be a better mother? Totally. Uh, maybe you have another person in your life that's your accountability partner. Maybe you have mm. someone else in your life that, man, they just really know the word. Right. And you just want to glean from them. Yeah. Maybe you have someone else that that has a, a, a business and they're able to run their business in a kingdom way. Totally. And you're like, Man, teach me how to be a kingdom business owner. Mm. Or teach me how to, to mop floors of the glory of God, because you do it really well, you mm-hmm. know. And so maybe it's a palette. For me, it's always been a palette. I had, you know, as a younger um, you know, as a younger uh, individual in the Lord, I, I always was looking for that person. Right. And I went through revision after revision after revision, constantly disappointed. Sometimes I would ask guys, they would be like, hey, will you be my mentor? And they'd flat out say no. I mean, I, like literally, I was like, what? Seriously? Like, why not? You know, and whereas me, I would, like, I'd be dying for someone to ask me that, right? right? But, but they'd flat out say no. And I think God was trying to teach me for one, that there's only one Christ. Mm-hmm. And I've seen Christ um, in the mosaic of multiple figures, two of which are you guys. Um, You guys are like older brothers to me, um, and and, and we have so much, I think, relational equity, that's why you guys are are sort of in this this position of, of helping me as elders for this this point in time um, because you guys have become that mosaic of Christ. Like I mm-hmm. see Jesus and you guys in different ways um, that uh, that I learn and I grow from. And I think um, you guys and others, you know, as well too. So we got to wrap up. Yeah. Uh, we're getting, we're running out of time here and people are going to probably start eating lunch while they're watching, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, thanks everybody out there for joining us. Really appreciate yeah. it. Let me just close this in prayer. Um, Father, thank you so much for Heritage. Thank you so much for Philippi. Thank you so much, Lord, that we are part of a fruitful ministry that is reproducing, that is multiplying, Mm -hmm. that is engaged in mission, that is believing the gospel. Lord, thank you so much that we could have conversations like this about church leadership, about what it looks like to be a discipler, to be discipled. Mm -hmm. Lord what it looks like to have spiritual formation in our lives God and we just pray that everybody that's listening right now Lord would just begin to think about this Mm -hmm. or just like we any good athlete needs a coach Lord I pray that we would all be seeking those coaches in our lives Mm -hmm. Lord to help us in areas asking about blind spots Lord being willing to take feedback even when it's hard Lord God, we love you so much. We just pray a blessing over everyone tuned in, Lord. May we just grow stronger in this time. Lord, may this not be a time where the kingdom decreases. May it increase, God, mm-hmm. um, to be on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. And Lord, so we bless your name and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace amen. and peace to everybody out there. Have a good See day. you guys.